Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. I'm recording this episode on Wednesday, November 13th of 2019. It correlates to our newsletter episode number 108, which you can find at mariehaines.com newsletter. There's a lot more in the newsletter that I'm not going to talk about in podcast here. A lot of SEO tips, um, some things from conferences and other stuff like that. What I want to talk about a lot in this podcast episode, though, is a big algorithm update that happened on the weekend. Um, I'm going to get right into that because I think most of you who are listening to this probably want our input on uh, what we think Google is doing with this algorithm update. So the update happened on the weekend, uh, November 8th, uh, which I think... um, Probably midday on Friday, November 8th, was when people started seeing changes. And it probably did not affect your site. Um, I'm saying most of the sites that we have in our uh, profile that uh, clients of ours actually saw no change from this update. But the sites that did see a change, it was significant. And we are having quite a few people reaching out to us saying, you know, for years I was ranking really, really well, and all of a sudden I'm on page two or three. Um, A good number of sites are seeing decreases in traffic of 35% or more. And so this is something really significant. So, of course, uh, many of us reached out to Google and asked for confirmation that uh, did they run an update. Um, And it's been a while since Google has given us one of these pat answers that's not very helpful. Um, Danny Sullivan tweeted from the Google search liaison account saying uh, basically, well, yeah, we did do an update because we're always doing updates. We push out several updates every week. Um, And, uh, you know, it was kind of this vague, yeah. There was an update, but we're not going to give you any information on it. One of the things that Danny did say in his tweets, I don't have it uh, exactly in front of me here, but um, was sort of this idea that uh, Google only wants to uh, communicate updates to us when there are specific things that site owners can work on to fix. Um, So does that mean that with this update, there's nothing we can do to to fix it? Uh, I don't think that's the case. And in fact, um, you know, some of these other updates where uh, Danny said, look, this is a core update. There may not be anything specific for you to fix. Uh, he then went on to link to uh, posts on EAT um, and talking about, you know, but if even if you can't fix things, here's some good reading for you. So uh, I don't think um, uh, that Google is saying, no, you know, there's absolutely nothing you can do here. Uh, I do think that potentially there are some things that can be done to help sites that have seen drops uh, on this date. So if you saw drops on November 8th, in organic rankings, then pay attention to our theories here uh, that I'm going to discuss in a minute. I should also mention, though, that there was also a local update. Uh, It seems to have started on November 4th or 5th, and uh, a number of sites are seeing significant changes in local rankings uh, that are all over the place. Um, Joy Hawkins, who we look to every time there's some type of a local update because she's really on top of these things, she has a great post that she's written. She's coined it the Bedlam update because it's really, really uh, crazy with sites losing rankings all over the place. A lot of spam is appearing in the map packs. Um, And so I am not going to talk in great detail about what's happening here. I have not thoroughly investigated the local changes that we're seeing. Um, And so we do have some information in newsletter uh, on this. And Joy has a fantastic post, which we've linked to from newsletter. Joy's also got on the local search forum, uh, there's a good discussion thread on what some of the local search professionals are saying uh, thinking is going on in that space. So, um, so if you were affected 
by uh, this local update and your maps rankings are all over the place, pay attention to that. Uh, what I want to talk about mostly, though, is the November 8th update. Uh, and this was not a maps update that I'm talking about, but rather a Google organic update. Um, one of the things that I noticed when I started to look at sites that were affected by this update uh, was that there were some patterns. Um, the first tweets that I saw come across on the weekend were um, from uh, Casey Marquis, who does a lot of work in the recipe industry. Uh, and he was saying that a lot of recipe sites are seeing 30% plus more uh, drops in organic traffic uh, since this update. Now, there was some uh, question as to whether we had talked recently about Google is having issues uh, showing the thumbnails for some recipe sites. And if your thumbnails are missing in uh, the SERPs, Google's actually still working on that. Uh, they tweeted recently saying that uh, they're still looking into this, but this is probably not connected to this update. So uh, a number of recipe sites were affected. A number of travel blogs were affected. Um, we also saw a good number of people. Um, one of the things that we do is we look at uh, our own intake forms for people who are asking for help, but we also look at a number of different forums, including the Google Help forums, uh, where people can post uh, questions about their site seeing traffic drops. And um, some of my staff have been, you know, collecting uh, a lot of information about, oh, okay, well, these sites are saying that they're seeing drops. And there were a number of sites in there that uh, were web design companies, uh, and um, that seemed very significant. Uh, and then there were also a lot of black hats that we're talking about seeing significant drops. So that's generally a good thing uh, for the quality of the web when black hats are seeing drops. I know some of you listening to this are not happy with me saying that right now. Um, but black hats often will be using techniques that are outside of Google's guidelines to rank websites that maybe didn't deserve to rank, uh, you know, in the first place. And, um, uh, and so when we see uh, black hats complaining strongly that there has been an update, quite often it's a link related update. So I went into my analysis perhaps a little bit biased, uh, thinking that, you know, maybe links could be a component here. Now, for every update that we've had, almost every update that we've had over the last couple of years, we've been able to say uh, with fair amount of confidence that these updates were connected to something in Google's quality raters guidelines. Um, you know, when Google made a change in the guidelines to add the words safety of users in a few places, we said, ah, I bet you a new update is going to come out where uh, Google has made better attempts at um, not ranking websites that could impact people's safety. And sure enough, this happened. We saw the August 1st update did that uh, last year. And there were other updates that um, that we felt were related to that as well. Um, in this case, though, uh, you know, I mean, we always say you sh whenever you're hit by an algorithm update, you should look at the quality raters guidelines. And there are always ways that we can find to improve a site's quality by looking at these guidelines. In this case, though, I couldn't really make a direct correlation to say, oh, yeah, you know, the sites that were affected tended to have these issues with trust or with something that is outlined in the guidelines. Now, I could be wrong on this, but what I really think is happening here is that this was a very strong link quality update. So we started to look at, um, the first thing we do is we look at our own clients and we look at who actually saw improvements and who saw drops. And is there a, a, a general theme that we can tie these sites together with? Um, and uh, one of the things that we noticed is that in each of our clients that saw improvements with this update, um, 
we looked back at our reports that we had done for them. So uh, we usually, you know, we start off our engagement with most of our clients with doing a very full site quality review. Um, and part of this review uh, is us looking at the backlinks pointing to this site. So I looked at the backlink section of each of these clients that had seen improvements. And in every case, we had actually said we either have no concern for the quality of their link profile or it was kind of one of these debatable things where we said, well, maybe you could consider disavowing, but we don't think it's really going to help you uh, get ahead. So the sites that saw improvements, uh, we had not identified them as having link issues. Of the sites that saw drops, and we actually did have a number of sites, uh, clients of ours, that saw drops, which is uh, always a concern. Um, every single one of them in their report that we did for them, we said, uh, we have very serious concerns for the quality of your link profile, and then listed out a number of the types of links that we felt were against Google's guidelines. Um, and so uh, this was an interesting uh, thing to note. Now, it's possible that um, sites that have uh, links that go outside of Google's guidelines can have other quality issues. So this is one of these, you know, does correlation equal causation? I don't know at this point point. Um, but it was a big enough uh, uh, correlation, I suppose, that uh, we really do think that Google was looking at links. So one of the things that we saw was that um, I started looking at recipe sites. So some of them were our own clients. We actually had a couple of uh, recipe clients that actually saw improvements um, So with this update, which was really nice. Uh, there were a number of tweets on Twitter of recipe sites sharing that they had seen significant drops. And so I started looking at the link profile of a lot of these sites. A lot of these sites have um, links that look like you've been a part of some type of a link scheme. Uh, and usually, I think this is pretty common amongst recipe bloggers, where you can get in these, uh, I think some people call them link parties. And basically what it is, is it's a whole group of recipe bloggers that when you write a recipe or you put a post on your website, you also include links to some of the other people that are in this link party with you. Uh, and so we shared this. I actually have an article, I should have started with this. Uh, we published an article on uh, what we think is happening with the November 8th update uh, just this morning as I'm recording this on, on November 13th. And so uh, you can find that on the blog on our website, mariehaines.com slash blog. And in fact, as soon as I'm done this uh, podcast, I'm going to make a short link for this article. Um, so you can go to mariehaines.com slash November dash eight, and uh, that will help you to, um, to get to that post. So um, a number of the recipe sites, it, it seemed like they had a large number of these link wheel type reciprocal linking uh, links. Now, some could argue, well, every recipe site tends to have that. And I, I say that's not true. We've looked at the backlink profile for a lot of recipe sites, um, and not everybody is using these link wheels or um, reciprocal linking agreements. Now, some of you could argue, uh, so we put examples, a few screenshots in this uh, article that we wrote on the November, November 8th update. And uh, one of the examples is, um, you know, a recipe site that, I don't know, is talking about chocolate chip cookies. And at the end of the article, it says, you might also find these recipes helpful. And a few of them are internal links to their own site. And then the last couple are links to other bloggers. Um, and so some could argue, well, those could be natural. And even, you know, if I, uh, uh, we, we get listed, uh, obviously, you know, that's the type of link that you want. You want people saying like, hey, if you thought our stuff was good, here's some other stuff across the web that's really good. Um, 
what makes it unnatural is if it's done for the purpose of SEO. And some people could say, well, you know, Google could never know that. How do they know that maybe I really did want to link out to your chocolate chip cookie recipe because I think it's really good. Um, and I believe what Google may have done with this update is find ways to, um, um, determine the patterns where this is done on a big enough scale uh, that it's actually helping these sites to rank well, but uh, they're, you know, the, the links are helping the sites to rank well uh, in a way that maybe shouldn't be so strong. Um, another type of link that I saw that was common amongst sites that were hit by this update was links in footers. Really, really common with web design companies. Uh, we have a whole article on footer links and SEO. Uh, it's a few years old now. I actually looked it up. I wrote it five years ago, which seems like a, a really long time ago. Um, still very relevant, though. Uh, all the things that Google has said about what they believe is okay in terms of linking from footers. Um, we look back at the link schemes document that is uh, in Google's documentation, and they actually changed some wording um, in in regards to, uh, and again, I don't have this right in front of me here, it's, it's in our article that we wrote about, um, in regards to uh, this type of link. And basically they were saying, if you have a link that is there because it's a part of a term of use of using your product, uh, then that's not natural. So uh, if you uh, uh, design web themes and uh, you say, look, you can use this theme and uh, you just need to keep the link in the footer that points to my web design company, uh, those can potentially be considered unnatural. We've always said in the past that uh, they may be okay if they're branded. Uh, I haven't looked in great detail to see you know, whether branded sites using brand links, so I'm saying, you know, linking back with your domain name or potentially your URL are being affected. A few of the sites that we looked at were using kind of partially branded. It would be like web design company. Uh, I don't know if you had like keywords in your uh, brand name, uh, that might be the case. So um, we don't know this 100% for sure, but I think that type of link used to help a lot of these companies. And now Google's figured out that they're not truly recommendations for your site. Uh, that link was there because they were told they had to put the link there in order to use the theme. Um, the other thing that we saw a lot of is uh, and I've been preaching about this for quite some time now, people who are using links in articles uh, as a way to build links and improve your page rank. Uh, and uh, I'm not talking about, you know, if you had a fantastic article that an authority in your niche decided to publish, and yes, it includes a link back to your site, that can be good. Um, but what we're seeing is people who are doing, uh, they call it content marketing, but really what they're doing is just trying to publish as many articles as you can uh, with links back to your site. There's a, a company that we worked with uh, just over a year ago, and we did a disavow for them. That's all we did. And if you've been to any of my talks recently, I usually put this slide in my talk because this company, we disavowed uh, this type of link in article links, and we disavowed hundreds of them. Uh, and it was a bit of a risky thing to do because, uh, you know, we didn't know whether those links were potentially helping them or uh, whether they were actually detected as Google by unnatural. 
uh, a short while after we disavowed these links, this site started seeing uh, incredible gains in traffic and uh, continued to see improvements with pretty much every Google update uh, since then. And we really felt that disavowing in article links uh, would was what helped this website. Now, with the November 8th update, this website saw a significant drop. I don't have the number right in front of me, but I want to say it was like maybe a 40% drop in traffic. Um, and so I took a look at their link profile. They're no longer on our, our you know, active clients of ours, but uh, we did have access to see uh, some of their data. I took a link, uh, look at their link profile, and it looks like they're starting to build PBN links again uh, in the exact same type of link that we uh, disavowed for them a few years ago or a year and a half ago. So um, we think that, you know, Google uh, was able to detect this and... Um, I don't know if that's a new thing that happened November 8th or if Google just sort of refreshed their assessment of whether you have unnatural links. Uh, and so hopefully this site will um, have us do uh, some more link auditing and uh, get rid of this new uh, link uh, building that they've been doing. And hopefully we can report back that they're seeing gains again. Um, but if you have links in articles and you've seen a big drop, I would highly recommend disavowing those links. Um, I think uh, I I'm 100% convinced that uh, this type of link can hurt you if done on a big enough scale. We also saw a number of black hats complaining that their private blog networks were no longer working as well, and this is a really good thing as well. And then, of course, there's always the odd black hat that jumps in and says, no, no, my PBNs are doing great, and it's always hard to know uh, whether that's legit or whether they're just trying to sell their PBN services. Um, so uh, we do think that Google got better at detecting private blog networks with this update. The other thing that we are seeing, uh, and I'm not completely convinced that this is um, being picked up by Google as link schemes, but a few of the sites that we reviewed that we felt dropped because of um, unnatural links had a very large number of links from what I call top 10 lists. Uh, and if you picture, you know... Um, an article on an authoritative website that says, you know, here are the top 10 CRM softwares, uh, software programs for you to, to use. Uh, and then if you get included in that list, uh, you know, you get a link back to your website. Now, there's nothing wrong with being included in lists like that. And I even put in our article that when people write, you know, the, the best SEO blogs to follow and they include a link to us, that's fantastic. We love that. Uh, and we didn't pay for any of those links. The thing is that a lot of these sites uh, these lists are pay for inclusion. Um, and we know that. Uh, I mean, if you're getting natural mentions on top 10 lists, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, but if you've paid for inclusion in a lot of these lists, we feel that those links probably were helping you at some point. And it's possible that Google's figured out that they're not really natural votes or recommendations for your site. So, um, those are the types of links that at this point we think Google is uh, paying closer attention to. The question that we have is whether we can see improvements uh, in disavowing those links. On one hand, it's possible that Google has just figured out that, oh, these links were helping these sites rank, but they shouldn't be, so let's just not count them anymore. And if that's the case and we uh, try to disavow these links, well, then we're disavowing, we're asking Google not to count links that they're already not counting, uh, and that seems like a waste of time and money to do that. Um, I've spoken on this many times over uh, the last few months. Uh, John Mueller 
Mueller did tell us recently that there are algorithms that if they detect that you have enough unnatural links pointing to your site um, and links that were clearly there because you're trying to manipulate your rankings, that those could hurt your ability to rank well. And uh, what he said was that Google might look at your links and say, you know, there's something going on here, so maybe we'll distrust all of the links pointing to this website. So with that knowledge, I would urge you that if you have had a history of uh, building links just for SEO, especially some of the links that I just talked about, you might want to consider using the disavow tool. We'll be as open as we can as we uh, help sites that are, you know, wanting to hire us to uh, to disavow this type of link. Um, and uh, my goal is to be you know, unbiased, although it's very hard. Uh, and I can understand some of you may uh, look at me saying, uh, you know, we think this is all about links. And by the way, we can sell you a link audit. Please know that, um, you know, I'm not just saying this to, to try to drum up link audit business. Uh, I, you know, I hopefully most of you know me well enough to know that that's not the case. Um, and in fact, we actually have a bit of a waiting list for link audits, um, which reminds me we're hiring. If you are in the Ottawa area, then uh, mariehaines.com slash job. It's not, we won't take any remote workers for these uh, positions. Um, but yeah, we're going to be hopefully doing some more link auditing in the future. One other thing I wanted to talk about with this update is whether or not it's connected to BERT. So we talked in the last couple of weeks about this BERT um, change that Google has implemented into their algorithms. And BERT, as we understand it, is primarily a way for Google to better understand queries. And so if I ask a question that maybe a few months ago Google didn't really understand what that question was, today BERT allows Google to uh, get even better at understanding what it is I'm trying to ask. What Google has not told us is whether they're using BERT on content content as well. So we did sort of float the theory that um, if Google could understand content better, then maybe they need to put less reliance on links. And so let's say that you were uh, a recipe blogger who's been involved in some link parties and, and uh, let's say you had uh, a recipe page on your site that's half decent and it has a whole bunch of links from other bloggers because you've been involved in these link parties. Um, and then there's another page that's competing against you that's really, really good in terms of content but doesn't have links. In the past, then uh, your page would probably rank better because you have links. If Google was better able to understand content via BERT and put less emphasis on the power of links, it could be that this content that no longer has links is actually ranking better. Um, I know that's kind of a, a lot to wrap your head around. And we, um, whenever there's an update like this, my team and I have a very long discussion and we try to disprove uh, all of our theories. Um, and uh, and this one was one we're really on the fence on, um, more on the side of saying that's not what Google's doing. Uh, but I'm interested to hear, um, you know, if you agree with me, then tweet at me. Or if you disagree with me, uh, tweet at me, Marie underscore Haynes. And uh, I'd love to have some uh, discussions on this. I should mention... Uh, there were a few people on Twitter that I said, hey, can I see your site? Because I was trying to uh, get more data for um, my theory on links. And uh, this started an onslaught of people asking for me to give them advice on their site. Um, if you are interested in having us review your site, uh, we do um, have a bit of a waiting list. But uh, if you email help at mariehaines.com, um, my team can give you some information on how uh, we can potentially help you with this. Um, so... The other, let's see, I'm going to move on to some other newsletter stuff. Uh, and thank you to those who responded on Twitter. I asked uh, what the 
proper length of this podcast should be because we started off doing a 20-minute podcast and now it's morphed into close to an hour sometimes. And uh, while some people did say they were happy with 20 to 30 minutes, the majority of people said, just keep talking as long as stuff is interesting. So um, so that's the plan. I have no time limit for this, but, uh, but I am cognizant of you don't want to sit here for the entire day and listen to me talk about Google. Um, so what else are we going to talk about here? Um, let's see. There was an interesting post on the Chromium blog, uh, Google Chrome, talking about uh, some changes that they're making at moving towards a faster web again. And Google has said for quite some time now that they really, really want our sites to be fast. And it looks like they're going to be measuring site speed in different ways now. So um, we've got information on newsletter on this. Uh, Google's going to start giving badges uh, to determine what types of issues are causing your site to load uh, more slowly. And this looks really interesting. So I had seen some people speculate that the November 8th update was, um, you know, strongly about page speed. I don't think that's the issue at this point, but we'll, you know, we'll keep that in mind. Uh, but regardless, if you have a slow website, you really, really want to do all you can to make sure that it loads faster. Um, something that some people have been noticing is that for local businesses, Google is rewriting title tags for some queries uh, to now include the location in your title tag. It seems to happen um, when people are doing non-location specific queries. Uh, and so, um, you know, Google might say, oh, we're not sure whether you want to, uh, just businesses in Toronto or, or what. So um, if Google is appending your title tag, at this point, there's not much that we know that can be done uh, to change that. Um, and really, when Google changes your title tag, they're trying to find ways to get you more clicks. Uh, they think it's more likely that people would want to click on your website uh, if they have that information. So that situation is probably a good thing, uh, although I could see situations where you might not want that as well. Um, we touched on this a bit before, but uh, here's a really good quote from John Mueller on uh, somebody asked him when to use the disavow file. And there's still so much controversy over this, or maybe controversy is not the right word, um, so much that is not known by the average webmaster uh, on uh, when we should be filing a disavow. So John gave us some really good examples here. He said, I'd use it for A, you have a manual action on links. B, you're sure you're going to get one based on what you see. Or C, you're losing sleep because you're worried that maybe perhaps the algorithm's not properly ignoring something big that you feel is really bad. So the question that always comes up when we talk about this is, well, should I disavow negative SEO attacks? And, um, you know, you'll... Some people will say, yes, you absolutely must. If a competitor suddenly starts pointing um, a bunch of adult anchored links at your website or uh, keyword anchored links, then should you disavow these? There's no harm in doing that other than the time spent. Um, in the most cases that we've looked at, though, disavowing those links doesn't really make a big difference. The exception, in my opinion, though, is if you've already got a history of links that you know you built uh, just to manipulate your rankings, um, and so far Google hasn't really caught on to this, we do feel that sometimes a negative SEO attack could tip the scales uh, and make it so that Google is now aware of your um, unnatural link patterns from the past. So uh, with that said, 
I don't want to encourage people to use the disavow tool if you are not really confident in it. Uh, we still see people that do more harm than good on their sites in disavowing. Um, and so you really need to be careful in using this tool. Um, let's see here. Somebody asked John Mueller about uh, geotargeting in Search Console. So you can set a, a region in Search Console to say, you know, I'd like to target uh, users in this country. And I believe the question on Twitter was from somebody saying, look, I targeted this country, but we're still ranking in other countries. So um, important to know that if you set geotargeting, it doesn't mean that you won't rank in other countries. And there's really nothing you can do uh, to ask Google not to rank you for just particular countries other than if you have content um, you know uh, you can no index it uh, if you have content that's written specifically uh, for one particular country and then you can no index that content uh, but you can't have content that's only indexed in English or only indexed in the United States uh, that's not something that Google will allow some interesting news uh, coming out of uh, the mainstream news on something Google calls Project Nightingale. Um, and this is really, really fascinating. I, I'm not going to go into great detail, but uh, those of you who are in the health space probably want to read the information on this. Um, the big story right now is that uh, apparently this Project Nightingale that uh, Google is involved with um, has allowed Google to secretly gather millions of patient records across the United States. Um, and that there's uh, up to 150 employees at Google that have access to a lot of sensitive information, stuff like lab results, doctor diagnoses, and hospitalization records, things like that. Um, apparently, this is fairly standard industry practice for people who are working on tools for healthcare providers. Uh, and so I'm not going to get into the ethics of, you know, whether uh, we need to worry about our health data, um, you know, being used by Google. Uh, but I thought this was interesting. This was a quote from the Wall Street Journal, I believe. Uh, it could be CNBC. Um, it says, Google is using data from the system to design software that tailors individual patient care using, quote, advanced artificial intelligence and machine learning. And this is really exciting for me. I've touched on this in other podcast episodes. I know some of you are saying, well, gosh, now Google's going to have all this information about my health and uh, that could be a negative and, and, you know, all this stuff. But think of the positives. Think if Google can use machine learning to make um, connections to find answers for uh, people that have serious health issues. Um, and, you know, if Google's got millions or billions of data points, um, they may soon, soon start to see that, oh, well, this is connected to diabetes, and we didn't know that before. Or perhaps, um, you know, a huge portion of people who have uh, cancer diagnoses also have these bizarre things that we never connected before. Um, I think, again, one day we're going to look back on this time and go, uh, remember the day where, you know, we didn't know that um, that these were connected with diabetes or cancer or whatever. Uh, and I think that Google is going to be a really, really great thing um, for helping uh, advance medicine. Uh, and, and who knows, perhaps I'm wrong and, and we'll all have... Um, serious uh, privacy issues because of Google, but uh, I don't know. I, I, we could have some really interesting discussions on this uh, in the future, perhaps. 
Um, a bit more local news. So we talked about the fact there was a local algorithm update, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to look into that more uh, next week. This week I was really focused on the organic update. Um, if you have a, a business, a Google My Business with multiple service areas listed, Google's put a cap on that. You can now only have 20 service areas uh, listed in uh, Google My Business. So that's something important to know. Um, recently, I, I want to say this was a new thing that Google started publishing a toll-free number you could call for Google My Business help, and uh, that has been removed uh, from their homepage. And so um, they are now referring people to the Google My Business Help Center. Uh, their blog post says, we've removed toll-free customer support numbers from the Google My Business homepage. If you call one of the existing numbers, you'll be directed to the Google My Business Help Center for a more personalized and efficient help experience. Um, so uh, if you're frustrated and trying to reach Google My Business help, um, hopefully this uh, help center can help you uh, get what you need. Let's do a few Q&A questions here. Um, if you want to ask a question uh, for me to hopefully cover on podcast, I can't cover all of them, uh, but you can go to the most recent newsletter episode. So this is episode number 108 of Search News You Can Use, uh, mariehaines.com slash newsletter. And there'll be a link to uh, a Q&A form that you can ask your question. Um, so this first question comes from Jeff. And he says, hi, Marie, in the last newsletter, you mentioned that Gary Ish talked up the value of a robust about us page. But how would this work on a site where there are various sections like finance, education, travel? Do you think each section would benefit from having their own about page, even if there's a domain wide about page? Um, so this is really tough to answer without actually seeing uh, the site in question. I really think um, I would only do separate about pages if you really had separate businesses all under the guise of one website. And if that's the case, I'd question, you know, maybe we should have separate websites, perhaps. Um, there's nothing wrong with having, uh, you know, if you had like, oh, our finance team um, is is here and so, uh, and our travel team is, uh, is this group of people. What I would probably do is have one about page for the company and then um, have subdirectories under that to say, here's more information on our finance team, on our travel team, uh, on things like that. Um, what Gary had said was that about pages can help Google um, gather information for the knowledge graph, uh, but this is primarily for larger entities. So uh, I think really, uh, I hate to give the pat answer that uh, often comes out here, but you need to do what's best for users. So if users are trying to find information on your team or who's responsible for the content on your websites, uh, and it would be easier for them to see just the finance team, for example, uh, then it might make sense to do that. Um, but again, I wouldn't, uh, I would make them connected to your uh, full company about page in some way. Uh, question from Lindsay. Most archive pages, such as date archives, we usually mark no index. Should we follow that same practice with author archives, or might that negatively impact your EAT? So um, author archive pages, uh, I believe you're probably talking about WordPress sites where, um, you know, WordPress will, in many themes, will generate a page that is, uh, you know, for every author on the site, and the page essentially says, here are the articles authored by this person. Um, we usually recommend, uh, for those pages that you do know, index them, um, or what's a better option is to actually find out if you can put more content on these pages. So instead of saying, you know, this author wrote these posts on our website, 
you write an entire page that extols the EAT of those authors. Um, and so you're talking about here's the awards they've won, here are uh, this, here's the schooling they have, here's where they were mentioned in these authoritative places. And we believe every single author should have uh, an author page like that, and those should indeed be in the index. However, if you're talking about, um, you know, let's say that author has written 200 articles on your website, and there is a paginated series of, of pages that uh, talks about all the articles they've written, I would no-index those. Um, one of the things we've gone back and forth on uh, in our team is whether no-indexing paginated pages could actually hurt uh, because you're removing um, internal links from the index. And John Mueller actually touched on this a while back, and uh, he didn't give us an exact answer, but his answer was essentially like, if those pages are not actually useful to people in search, then the links on those pages are probably not that helpful. Um, so uh, I think the short version version of the answer to this question is if you have author pages, you should make them as helpful as possible, and yes, they should be indexed. If you have author archives of all of the lists of posts that that author has written, then those should probably be no indexed. Um, and let's do just one more here. This is a question by Joshua. It's a bit of a long question here, so bear with me. If a site got hit by YMYL, and I believe Joshua is saying uh, a core update uh, that affected YMYL sites, and they're not relying on articles to generate traffic, i.e. a local business that gets most of their traffic by ranking for chiropractor to the homepage versus why does my back hurt to an article page. Would you recommend that instead of going through the work and financial commitment of raising the quality level of their articles on the site, that they just remove the offending content if the offending content A, provides no SEO traffic and value, and B, the content isn't being used by general users of the site. I'm gonna, there's more to the question, but I think, uh, I, think I get the gist of it here. Um, so let's say you were a chiropractor and you have um, you know, a bunch of articles on your website um, that are, now the example you gave was why does my back hurt? I would keep that because that's something where your chiropractors have an area of expertise, you know, and as long as this content is written in a way uh, that is professional, um, that has been reviewed, or if not written by the chiropractor, but reviewed by the chiropractor, um, and, uh, and demonstrates, reflects what the general chiropractic community believes, uh, then I would keep these these articles. It gets a bit controversial when you talk about chiropractors because we have to argue whether, you know, is this a topic that goes against scientific consensus? I'm going to leave that uh, component out of this answer um, for now. Um, where I would uh, potentially get rid of content is, and we see this all the time, let's say that same chiropractor has articles um, that are really not their area of expertise. So it would be, you know, using this supplement for back pain, um, you know, and maybe the supplement is one that is not recommended by traditional physicians. Then you have to question whether this could be bringing the value of your site down. So we believe that if Google sees enough content on your website that is contrary to scientific consensus, that it actually can be a negative against your entire site. Um, if you saw drops with 
core updates, specifically the June 3rd update of 2019, then this is a tactic that I would recommend. Um, I actually would recommend that you either no-index pages that could be seen as contradicting scientific consensus. Um, That way they're still available on your website, but they're not in Google's index and they're not counted um, in terms of quality when Google's looking at the entire quality of your website. Um, Or you change those pages dramatically so that uh, somebody who is, say, a traditional physician um, would uh, would not say, oh, this is quackery. Um, and so this means showing both sides of the story, making sure that those pages are uh, very properly referenced, um, and writing them in a way that does not sound like you're a snake oil salesman. So this brings up a really good point. Uh, I've been working for a couple of months now on uh, a very thorough white paper on how we believe uh, Google is using scientific consensus and how websites that potentially are contrary to scientific consensus could appear to look better in Google's eyes. Now, I'm not saying, you know, this is not tricks and loopholes. Um, this is talking about how to rewrite your content, um, how to potentially separate out your uh, your content that could be seen as controversial. At this point, we're sending this white paper out to clients of ours that have had us do a full site quality review. Um, And so if you are one of those clients where we've done a full site review for you, reach out to your team member at MHC and uh, they will get you, uh, if they haven't done it already, they'll get you a copy of this white paper. We may make this paper available for public to purchase. Um, We're going to give it a little bit of time probably first, but if you are interested in purchasing this white paper, uh, then um, you can reach out to us at help at mariehaines.com and uh, we'll Uh, we'll see if there's enough interest we may possibly make it available to the public um, for purchase though so I think that's where we're going to end it here Uh, we have a lot of stuff in the newsletter that is not uh, I did not cover on podcast Um, we've got a really cool tip to help you determine whether your competitors are using private blog networks Um, a tip on how to make your site work with dark mode that's kind of cool CSS uh, tip Um, WordPress is now offering recurrent payments so we talk about that in the the newsletter and uh, really good tips on uh, how to get a Wikipedia page that's something in the recommended reading section that uh, um, if you you're a paid newsletter subscriber, you'll see our summary of this really, really great article uh, that's talking about how to get a Wikipedia page. Um, so if you, again, if you were hit by the latest Google update, you can reach out to us at help at mariehaines.com. Um, and uh, again, if you're looking, if you're one of our clients looking for this medical consensus paper, please do reach out to us and uh, we'll get that to you. So I will keep you updated as uh, we get more information on this Google update. Um, you can find the post on our, our blog, mariehaines.com slash blog, uh, of everything that we think is happening with this update. And if more information comes available, we'll update the blog and also our newsletter. Uh, and I'll be talking about it probably for the following weeks in this podcast. So thanks so much for listening. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm-hmm.